Diana Bursford Kroger, Irish Canadian scientist and acclaimed author, brings the story of ancient sacred trees to the heart of the boreal forest in the new documentary Call of the Forest The Forgotten Wisdom of Trees. And the film will be screening across Canada and will be in Ottawa coming up in the middle of November at the Bytown Cinema. So uh, it has been launched, uh, it's covering Guelph, Vancouver, Toronto and a variety of other cities and it has just been awarded the Cine Verde uh, Award, Uh, it's in uh, in the last few days in Florida and I understand will actually be brought to Ireland for a screening in the coming number of weeks or months Diana, welcome back it's been a pleasure and it's been a while Oh, it has been a while, hasn't it? And uh, yes, it's a pleasure to talk to you, Austin. Absolutely. The bringing your book, which was highly acclaimed, from print to screen. Yeah, and and it's going. I know the last time you and I talked, that was something that was in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. Uh, It must have been an interesting process. It was an interesting process, and it's going to be another process again. It's in translation into Chinese right now. And the Chinese version will be out in the falls, you know, in August, September. And when you said the Chinese version, because it mm-hmm. is a documentary, yeah. um, unlike what would be a normal movie where you would have a, have a script and dialogue, yeah. this would be more that there is a, 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 a voiceover that in effect is doing the necessary talk, uh, the backing track. No, no, I've written the director's script for it. I've written okay. that. And with the director's script, I did every scene script. And what they wanted to do is with Christopher Plummer, they wanted to do a variation of voice. So it's a balance of voice. And actually, we have a Mexican composer. And he is a young composer out of Mexico and Berlin. And he did the musical compositions against our voices. Okay. So um, take me through, first of all, where the, you started out with this from, where, where did the filming start? Um, the, filming, the filming started um, essentially in North America here and then went across to the West Coast and then from the West Coast went south into California because the species up there are very similar to China and very similar to Japan. They're related species. Then we went across to Japan. And then from there we went up into the boreal, and when we were due to go into the boreal forest, it's the circumpolar forest all around the world, and it's the greatest forest left that's left in the world. It's bigger bigger than the Amazon forest, and that one goes into China, it goes into Russia, it's called the Taiga in Russia, in the north of Sweden, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and of course Canada and the U.S., and um, so we travelled there, but you know, Austin, when we were up there, um, we couldn't actually work the cameras on the first shot, because the temperatures went down to minus 55, and we were afraid that all the cameras would burst. Diana, when you tell me something circumnavigates the world in that fashion, yeah. like I know mm-hmm. you get to a point where you go above the tree, the tree line. Tree line, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're obviously we're below the tree line. So what latitudes yeah. are are you operating in? Oh well, it would be you now if you look at if you looked at um, the atlas, and mm. then you drew a line from the boreal. The boreal kind of almost goes through Ireland. Okay. Um, it's very we're very far north, and we're almost on the tree line. 
uh, it's very, very, very far north, and the trees are a specific kind of tree, um, and they would be the the Pinus, Pinus banksiana, and that would be equivalent to you, where you are in Ireland right now, that would be equivalent to the Scots pine. And they're both related, those species, and the Scots pine goes up into the taiga. But those trees do extraordinary things for the whole of the globe. They actually are the ecological shield of the world. They actually keep, keep the atmosphere clean. And it's something that we've only discovered really in the last maybe 10, 20 years, that that's the case. And they actually scrub the atmosphere of a lot of pollutants, and they they um, activate the atmosphere in in other kinds of ways, and they cause um, kind of like uh, very very minute uh, pollen type compounds to go into the air. I'm calling them pollen type because they're much smaller than pollen, and they actually regulate the whole atmosphere of the world. So, and the weather am, I, am, I, am I hearing correctly then that to some degree this would be counteracting the CO2 emissions that are polluting the atmosphere? Yeah, they are. And actually they're the ones that they, they, they pull tonnage, tons and tons of carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. And they're the workhorse of the planet. And in fact, you see, they are very far north and they work with very low light conditions. Because the, the sun coming up the atom, uh, coming up the horizon is very, has a low angle of incidence on these plants, and they're really really unique. They've been working there for at least thirty thousand years that we can figure out, and they've stabilised the atmosphere. And they are really the last kind of workhorse that's pulling the planet into stability from that point of view. And they're extraordinary species. Now. Diana, then when you said uh, the species itself, are there a number of members of the family? And I'm thinking in terms of some of the work that is underway in Europe and in Ireland at the moment, particularly where there is an encouragement for farmers to actually plant trees um, on what are, would be on marginal yeah. land. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I, that's the Woodland League, and um, I'm the scientific advisor for that, for the Woodland League. I'm the scientific advisor for a lot of, uh, I'm, I'm pro bono scientific advisor, may I add, for lots of places. And the Great Wood of Octi, that's Brian Baru's extraordinary oak wood that was so famous in the ninth century. That has been put back in again, and actually all the farmers are agreeing to it. And it's really an act of of stopping climate change. And I think in the future, with the discussions that are going on in Germany, uh, I think that farmers will compensation for CO2 compensation for doing that in the future. So I'm going to switch gears slightly and let, allow mm-hmm. your scientific head, head to somewhat explain to me in layman's language, because when I hear all this government talk about um, mm-hmm. be it a carbon tax or yeah. be it um, other such schemes that are, yeah. um, what's all that about relative to this kind of a concept? Well, for instance, you know, often there, there, there's kind of two two pillars to look at. One of them is is we're in a we're in a society where it's a consumer society, and the things that run a consumer society is called the Church of the Holy Dollar, 
and I don't care what religion you're joined to, um, the Church of the Holy Dollar regulates banks, regulates the the, the corporations, the corporate world, um, that you do not know the name, you do not know the face of these, this corporate world. And what they're getting into is a kind of a hoax in a way, is that they're allowing one corporation to pollute and the other one will to pay for it. So there's a swapping going all over. But it's not reducing the carbon dioxide of the atmosphere. Okay, a little bit of it will come down. It will regulate some of the smaller businesses to some degree. But for the last 400 million years, the forests of the planet have been reducing the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere because 400 million years ago it was toxic. We could not breathe. We had not enough oxygen to breathe. So it's taken 400 million years to swipe out the carbon dioxide levels and to oxygenate the planet. And it's the great oxygenation, oxygenation of the planet that has allowed the mammals to live in the oceans and on the land. So what we're doing is we're going into reverse with this carbon swapping. We're allowing more carbon dioxide to go into the atmosphere. And it's really, really dangerous for all of us because it has huge, far-reaching effects into the ability to grow, grow our crops, in the ability to have fish in the sea, in the ability to to have pestilence will really increase. I mean, we have the Zeta virus coming up the, um, the, the North American continent. All of these things are all related. So what we have to do is replant the forests and protect the forests that are already there. They're, they're like green machines. Each tree you see in front of you has a molecular ability to swab the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and produce oxygen. That is what we want. So, so, so I was going to say, let's switch gear back and say, is this what the movie and the documentary is in effect putting from words that you and I are sharing and yeah. bringing it to a visual aspect? Yeah, yeah. That what the, what the movie is all about is lots and lots of people. I've travelled all over the world this last five years into Germany, all over the world. And everybody's concerned about climate change. In some places, it's really affecting people. Up in the north, the polar bears will not be able to survive. That and all kinds of other things. So my suggestion, based on my mathematics, is that each person on the planet plants one tree per year for the next six years, and it's called my bioplan, that you can do that and it will pull the carbon dioxide in parts per million down into the 300s, which is a stable weather pattern for the atmosphere. Diana, I normally and I, I normally don't touch anything political because you know mm-hmm. no, it doesn't matter what one person says. There's always yeah. a counter political proposal yeah. point yeah. of view. However, <laughs> um, <laughs> south of you, no more than about. 50 kilometers or so, um, mm-hmm. there is a very much a shift in the attitude towards global warming um, and the perspective of the yeah. government. Um, yeah. Now, what I have noticed in the last day or two is that one of the, the head of one of the oil companies in the U.S. has actually come out to say that global warming is a reality. 
Oh, really? I didn't know that. You know, Austin, as far as you and I are concerned, I'm really apolitical. I This is too important a topic for any politician to, re, to actually take on the table. Uh-huh. I think the answers for this is your your answers, my answers, and the population of the world. We can do it cheaply. We can pull back the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. We can do it really cheaply. We can do it one by one if we hold hands across the planet. And actually, that is already happening. That is already happening in Japan. It's happening all over the world. But the politicians are in the business of the Church of the Holy Dollar. They're in the business of making money and keeping, you know, keeping keeping our, our democracies going, if you want to call it that way. And really, our democracies are not perfect, but really, in a sense, it's the best thing we have. Mm-hmm. And if we go and protect our forests, ordinary people, people like me, protect the forest, look after them, then I think we'll be okay. Then our kids and our grandkids will have a future. So going back to the movie, between the first shot when Mm -hmm. the camera was turned on and the last shot when the camera was turned off, how long a process was that? It's taken five years. Right. It's a five-year work movie. And then on top of that, there's a huge – it's cut into five units for television and different showing all across the world with translations. Then together with that, it's a huge project. Together with that, there is an app that I've created for all the planting of all the trees of North America, and that's keyed into medicine. That's keyed into the medical benefits of of all of these trees. Like, say, for instance, if you've got cancer in your family, there are certain trees you should be planting around your house to boost your immune system and make you be able to ignore the threat of cancer. So all of that is keyed into that. And then on top of that, there's another 20 videos on the DVD. And the 20 videos are to tell you and show you how to plant the trees and how to care for them. And we did not have enough money to go into Africa. I really wanted to go into Africa and wanted to go into Australia. But I'm hoping that in the future we'll be able to do uh, an app for all of the continents of the world. I have done the master plans for cloning all the species of the world, and that's a huge project that I did maybe eight, nine, ten years ago. And that is to actually save the genetic material of the trees just in in case climate change is catastrophic because we have no saving of seeds of any of the trees of the plant. Um, When you say that... um I, I, when you say save, the, in other words, if anything happened, that it would be possible either to um, genetically recreate or that you would have successfully stored uh, a supply of seed. Yeah, stored them, stored them by by cryostatic storing. Yeah, and it's it's not that hasn't happened anywhere in the world. And you know, Austin, sixty percent of our all of our medicines come from trees, mm-hmm. and most of the very effective cancer treatments are coming from trees. The taxane family comes from a tree. It comes from a fungus within a tree. So nobody's putting that piece of the pie together. That leads me to another question, because I think you and I might have talked about this before, because some of the pharmaceutical firms I know have patented what are, in effect, um, seeds or natural process. Mm -hmm. So as part of this project, would you see the uh, patenting of 
nature as part of a foundation that could not ultimately then end up in the hands of private enterprise. Okay, now you and I share a common heritage, that's Ireland, okay? Uh-huh. And 2,000 years ago, we had Anchankas Moor, which is the Brehan Laws, the basis of the Brehan Laws in commonage. Uh-huh. And commonage means a sharing of ownership of these species all across the world. That was there for us 2,000, 3,000, 3,500 years ago. That has been taken up again. And do you know, just of the last few weeks, we have now named in New Zealand a river as being a person. Right. Yeah. So um, the law courts are looking in Eugene, Oregon, are particularly looking at the concept of commonage. And that's the ancient Irish Gaelic way of looking at the world. So it's a very exciting time to be living in because maybe the corporations will not own the planet. And the nature is the last great piece of ownership they'd like to have but maybe it won't go to them. Yeah, and the reason I ask the question is, of course, that I know that the, I think it is the CEO of one of the major um, food companies Mm -hmm. uh, considers that water is not a a right. Ah, but water has always been a sacred right. I know, I know. Yeah, has always been a sacred right, and actually the royal family has also been involved with that. Yes. And they they have, you know, in the bottled water and, and drying out the wells. We have five major great, great aquifers in the world right now, great ones, and they're actually going down. So they're going down because the forests have been cut down. And the hydrological cycle of the atmosphere into the soil, into these great aquifers, depends on the forests. And so we're able to put this all together now. And we couldn't do it maybe 30, 40 years ago, but now we know. And so the concept again is coming back into the pages of the commons, the great commons. And you remember, Austin, you know, when we were little kids in Ireland, all the farmers would mark their sheep and put them out into the commonage of the mountains and the hills. And that's the same idea. Um, and I've seen an awful lot of marked sheep in the last few weeks around here because yeah. it's lambing season. Yeah, yeah. And uh, not so mm-hmm. many out in Commonage anymore, but definitely on the Long Acre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. Indeed. The Inchfield, yeah. yeah. And so that's been there for us, you know. It's it's kind of getting forgotten in Ireland now, but there are people who kind of hold that up and and um, and. And those laws are there. Those laws have been written and those laws are being pulled up again and examined again. So in a nutshell, Diana, anybody who takes the time to, uh, in Ottawa, go to the Bytown and sit Mm -hmm. down and spend uh, an hour and a half or thereabouts, they're going to come out highly educated, Mm -hmm. highly refreshed and hopefully reinvigorated and enthused about doing something positive for the planet. Yeah, well, what we're doing, that, that'll be in April. The Bytown is in the 12th, the 13th, 14th, and 15th of April. But what we're doing is we are, we are, we are showing the, screening the movie to packed, packed, packed audiences all across the country. And we, in, in, in Winnipeg, we showed it in Winnipeg, it was supposed to be for four, four days, and it went on for over two and a half months. Every single seat was packed. The, the film board has never, ever, uh, we haven't, it is the most 
uh, attended film ever in Canada. Can you see a change in attitude among the politicians as a possibility resulting from this? Ah, no, the politicians are asleep. Okay. The politicians are totally asleep and they're totally, they, they are, I've had uh, correspondence with our Minister of the Environment and um, all the last letter I got a couple of days ago, is she, she's cheering me on. No help, no nothing, no nothing. They simply, uh, I tried to get into Paris, um, they simply do not comprehend the biological system that we're dealing with, the biology of the world. They don't know that. But what's going to happen is that ordinary people will understand it and ordinary people will vote them out and vote people in who will really protect the planet. And that feeling of, of the vulnerability of the planet I'm finding is all over the world. Do you think that there are some jurisdictions that would be more open to learning than others. In other words, you know, we do have some developing countries that are industrialized mm -hmm. <coughs> and are yeah. struggling. And yet yeah. there are others like Canada that are definitely first world countries and um, enjoy a very high standard of living. Um, are you sensing that this represents a dilemma in some scenarios? It is a dilemma and the dilemma is going into religion now. Um, south of here, south, in the, south of us, of Canada, in the United States, there is definitely a movement amongst, uh, I would say, less, maybe 25% of the people down there are going into a kind of a charismatic mode of religion, if you want to put it that way. And there's a denial of everything. But that too can change, you know, often because mm -hmm. if they start losing their houses and if they start getting hungry, and which they will be, um, uh, I think then that can change. But if you carry the majority of the world, if you carry uh, the concept that we are protecting the world, and enough people do it, and it seems to be working that way right now, then I think you can to some degree pacify the people who are in that charismatic mode for all the different religions. And if people have a roof over their head, have enough food to eat, have somebody to love in their house. You know, that goes a long way to settling people down. And we used to have an expression in Ireland of unspalpeen fawnach, and that the spalpeen man, who was the young man dangling at the side of a, of a street, dangling at the side of a corner, they're the people who make war. So if you take the people out of the spalpeen fawnach state, bring them in house, settle them down, then you won't have war. Um, two extremes, Diana. Um, mm -hmm. If yeah. nothing were to change, yeah. how long do you estimate before catastrophe arrives on our doorsteps? And, I think, mm -hmm. and that's one, one side of it. And the other side of it being, mm -hmm. if people were to sit up, pay attention and take action, how long before um, that action could result in a good, healthy planet being back with us? I would say for the healthy planet, I would say we only have a spread of 50 years. Um, the, the carbon dioxide is really uh, shelved in the atmosphere. We can pull it out in 50 years. We can start pulling it immediately by planting the forests and protecting the forests. We can start pulling down that numbers for, from the 400 
parts per million down into the 300 pretty well immediately. You'd have to start giving it five years for dorm, uh, for, for germination and so on and so forth. But in the meantime, the other, the other disharmony, if you want to look at it that way, is now on its way because all across this country, all across Canada, in Ireland and in Europe and in other parts of the world, the quality of water in the rain and in the snow is changing. The quality of rainfall is changing. It is an absolute deluge that's coming down now. And this is happening in Colombia. It's happening actually in Australia as we're speaking too. So the water, it doesn't come down as a drizzle. It come down, comes down as a deluge. And that's really, really damaging for all the species. And this past year and the year before, in the last three years in Canada, what's happened is that the snow has been Become, become very, very wet. This has happened all on the west coast of Canada in that the, 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 the weight, the actual weight of the snow landing as a snowfall has been stripping off all the branches of the trees. And we have to have forests for protecting the planet. We have to have them there. So the phenomenon of what you're talking about is already starting. And the oceans are changing in their in their pH ratio too. So we are on the balancing point right now. And the other thing that is happening is that pestilence, all of the pestilent insects and so on and so forth, with increased carbon dioxide, have a 30% ability, increased ability to lay eggs, and their exoskeleton is bigger, stronger, and they can last longer. See, you see, we can't battle all of those things. We've mm -hmm. got to go back into a balance. One final thing that triggered based on what you just said. You know, I hear this thing about burying carbon. Oh, yeah, yeah. How can, like, I, I just thought the concept when any time I'm mm -hmm. puzzled by it at the best yeah. of times. But, yeah. like, that you're burying a gas mm -hmm. yeah. that um, of its nature yeah. is lighter than air, and it has to go somewhere over a period of time. Yeah, yeah. It, and, and actually the carbon comes through the ground, through the earth. You can't do it unless you put the form, the form of carbon into some other very strange metallic form if you wanted to think about it that way and put it into a, a solid form, which you can do by dropping temperatures and dropping pressures. But we don't have the energy facilities on earth to be able to do that. Right. And as well as that, we have another phenomenon happening is that there will be tectonic plate movement because with an increase of the melting of the snow and the ice shelves um, breaking off down in Antarctica, we have what's known as uh, it's, it's a displacement effect in the oceans. And that displacement effect is, has it has a, a way rising, raising the oceans. And water is very, very heavy when it changes from snow into water dissolving itself. And that actually is starting to shift tectonic plates. And if you shift tectonic plates and you have a whole pile of carbon dioxide potentially stored deep in, let's say, salt mines, you're going to shift that carbon dioxide out. Then you get a wallop of tonnage into the air and God knows what's going to happen then. Diana Burst for Kroger, I think we better wrap it up there because we could talk for weeks. There's so, it's such, it is such an interesting subject and there is no end to the amount of area that needs to be covered with it. But the recommendation is if you're in the Ottawa area, April 12th it opens at the Bytown and runs at the moment. You're running four days, is it? 
Yeah, four days, yeah. One, yeah but four I days. anticipated we'll be back probably very uh, yeah. quickly for a lot mm -hmm. of more runs. And congratulations yeah. Yeah. again on the Cine Verde and all the other accolades that are bound to pour through. Uh, you must feel very satisfied and heartened by the end product and the amount of work you've put into it. Well, what heartens me actually often is that there are loads and loads of young professional people coming out. Right. There are loads and loads of people who want to be active, and they absolutely understand what I'm talking about by way of their learning. And that's really exciting because it means that we're starting an embryo of thought to actually do something that everybody is worried about, but maybe we'll find the answer in this. Well, thank you, Diana. It's been a real honour and pleasure having a chat. <laughs> thank you, Austin. 